Anchored is a production of the Classic Learning Test based in Annapolis, Maryland. Reconnecting knowledge and virtue. Visit us at cltexam.com. Hello, welcome back to the CLT offices. We're glad you're here. Today, we're excited to have Alessandra Boki, the Joseph Rago Memorial Fellow at the Wall Street Journal. If this is your first time joining us, I'd like to take a little bit of time to explain what Anchored is. This is a program where our CEO, Jeremy Tate, engages in conversations with leading thinkers on topics at the intersection of education and culture. As always, we at CLT greatly appreciate your feedback, so please rate and review this episode and send any questions or comments to anchored at cltexam.com. Today is also a unique day here at the Anchor Podcast as we're releasing two episodes at once. Alessandra Boki will be discussing her article in the Wall Street Journal, Ancient History Isn't Colonialism, that was written in response to the student group at Brown that is seeking to take down statues of Marcus Aurelius and Caesar Augustus. We'll also have on Dr. Angel Adams Parham of Loyola University, New Orleans, where she will also be addressing this topic from a sociological standpoint. We thought it was important to put these two episodes out together so that we can engage in a larger conversation about this event and its overall meaning for education. Now, without further ado, let's get on to the conversation. All right, welcome back to Anchored, the official podcast of the Classic Learning Test. Today, we have a very exciting guest, uh, Alessandra Bocci. Uh, Alessandra is currently the Joseph A. Rago Fellow at the Wall Street Journal. Born in Italy, Alessandra has worked at Arab, Italian, and U.S. newspapers and has reported stories in Hong Kong, North Africa, and across Europe. She holds a degree in international politics from King's College London and a master's degree in political theory from University College London. Alessandra, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. You recently wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, Ancient History Isn't Colonialism. And you discuss efforts by decolonization at Brown, uh, a student group at the Ivy League University, to remove the statues of Marcus Aurelius and Caesar Augustus. Can you provide a little background to this situation? Is it just about the statues or about something much deeper within the Western tradition? I think it shows something much deeper going on. I mean, of course, education is a benchmark of of our culture and society. So whatever we see happening at university then will reflect in the broader society as well, if not now, in the future, for sure. And it's a worrying trend, especially because... The, the reason why I address this argument that was made by these students at a group called Decolonization at Brown, uh, these students wrote an op-ed arguing in favor of removing the statues of Augustus Caesar and Marcus Aurelius at Brown University. And coming from Italy, where those statues are considered sacred and, you know, Italy is so cherished for its cultural heritage. And that, of course, includes its heritage from the Roman Empire. So I never even considered that argument or could fathom somebody making that argument. But the reason why I address it is because the vo- this actually went to a vote at a student uh, council, the student undergraduate council at Brown, and they lost the vote only by not receiving overall majority. So they didn't get the 50 or more percent of the vote that they needed to have this proposal considered at a higher level, but they got a, something like 46% of the votes compared to like 30 something percent of students who uh, voted in favor of keeping the statues. So only a minority of students voted in favor of keeping the statues. 
And that was worrying to me. And that's why I wanted to address this issue. The fact that this proposal is even being considered. I mean, it's perfectly legal for, to remove those statues from Brown. So in order to keep them, uh, you have to make a positive argument on why those statues uh, need, to, need to stay. And that's what I tried to do in that op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. I try to argue that those statues represent our greatest civilizational virtues and not make the case that, oh, they should stay because, you know, we should be in favor of free expression and free inquiry. Well, and I'm not going to even pretend to try to be uh, neutral on this. I think this is pretty crazy um, that there's this kind of, of support among students at a top tier American university uh, and that they would be making this kind of connection. I, I'm wondering, what was the response from professors and students who were opposed to this movement? So whenever I speak to uh, professors about these trends and uh, this call for censorship, they are very careful, I notice, about how they express themselves. And they don't like to take sides, but I can tell, sort of, maybe I'm wrong, but I can tell that they're very much against this new movement. But it's just so powerful that they are afraid to take, and also they're professors and they need to respect all their students. But also this trend is so strong at universities, the progressives definitely have the upper hand and they have the moral high ground. And this student who I interviewed, uh, she's called Nidhi Baskar. She's actually of Indian origin. So she has no ancestral relation to European heritage, but she cared so deeply about maintaining these statues because they represent, you know, civilizational virtues for all people, not just for, you know, Western society. And as a student of archaeology, she really appreciates and wants to preserve this heritage. But she said that she was met with a lot of opposition and many students only expressed themselves um, in favor of keeping the statues anonymously online on these forums, but they were afraid to do so publicly. Here at CLT, we actually start every morning as a whole company reading out loud together. Um, and we read Aurelius's Meditations uh, just a couple of quarters ago. Uh, everybody loved it. Uh, we're, we're reading about gratitude. Did, did you get a sense that the students who want to take down the statues, uh, have they read Marcus Aurelius? I do not know. I tried to contact them for comments, all these students who wrote this uh, op-ed, and I contacted the group email Decolonization of Brown. I never received a response. So I don't know. I assume not, because if they had, they would realize what those statues actually represent. You know, there's been much debate concerning free speech and open inquiry on college campuses today. We've had guests discussing both sides of the argument on the program here. Uh, in your opinion, is there a crisis of free speech on campus? Yes, absolutely. And it's really, like I tried to argue earlier, it's really about the fact that these students don't believe in free speech because they think that they have the moral high ground. So if you start from a premise of my opinion is the correct one because colonialism and white supremacy is inherently bad and the ones who are in favor of keeping these statues or like in favor of keeping even modules at university that study western civilization say because they're also trying to change that in some departments they go on the defensive and they start saying oh but i'm not a racist i'm not a white supremacist and so i think the dynamic needs to change where 
the other side is actually not afraid of saying this cultural heritage of ours is good and we should preserve it. It's actually what made us great in many ways. Explain this to me if you would. You know, many people would describe Western Europe as, as perhaps more liberal overall than the United States. Um, but as you said in the beginning, they're not taking down Marcus Aurelius statues in Italy. Well, where's the, the disconnect there? Uh, well, in Italy, studying the classics is mandatory in high school. So it's very kind of ingrained in the culture, a deep respect for classical education. They study ancient Greek. They study Latin. Wow. And uh, it's a much more comprehensive approach to education. It's far less specialized. Since a very young age, it's instilled in them to have respect for this, for their heritage. So I would say that's a key difference. But also, we don't have the same culture wars that we see in the United States. So I read about a, a bit about your organization and how you're trying to is it right that you're trying to have like classical education introduced in? Yeah. So the idea is that in, in, in mainstream American education, um, tests dictate what happens in the classroom. Tests drive curriculum. And mm-hmm. so the SAT and ACT, which are the main tests everybody knows, uh, if those were to require some degree of fluency with the classics, then the classics would have to come back into mainstream education. Um, but because they go in the complete opposite direction, uh, there's a complete unfamiliarity with the classics. Yes, I noticed actually, even in the United Kingdom, that I studied, I think I briefly mentioned from the Enlightenment onwards, like there was no classical education. And if I hadn't come from Italy, where that's so valued, I don't think maybe I would have gotten so much into that. Hearing that perspective, I'm so excited for our audience to hear this, because it should not be a, a left-right political issue, which it is right. in the United States. But were you at a public school in Italy? Was it a Catholic school? Uh, it was a private, and it was an English school. I was doing like a parallel Italian and English school, but the Italian one was a public school. Okay, but you're saying this is really the norm in Italy, that, that students get an education. Yeah, it's so interesting. Actually... Yeah, in, in Italy, it's the opposite. The public schools or the state schools are considered the best schools. Um, mm. And the private schools are considered the worst schools. Uh-huh. It's so strange. It's the opposite. Whereas the state schools are considered like really good and really tough. And classic, the classics are mandatory. Even if you study, say, in a high school that you where you specialize, if you want to specialize in science, you still have to study the classics. Wow, fascinating. It's so helpful. We were talking with our last guest. Um, it was We had Yuval Levin. Talking to him about de Tocqueville and just de Tocqueville's ability to come here, you know, ha- having spent his entire life in France and, and to have an outsider's perspective at U.S. culture. And it, it seems like having grown up in, in Italy and, and having, you know, been seen an education system that really valued the classics that you're able to look at the American system and kind of realize, you know, that what we're doing may not be quite right. No, and it's so strange because America is founded on classical ideals. And, you know, the founding fathers were very educated on the classics. And that's how they were inspired to form the Democratic Republic, which is what America is today. And so it's strange that these concepts are not valued. So we have a a big reading culture here uh, at CLT, and and you have quite uh, an impressive academic background. I'm wondering in your own leisure reading and, and partly because you spent time at First Things as well, what do you, what do you read on your own? Is it all connected to work or are you a, a classics person? What do, you, what do you like to dig into? 
Uh, I really like to read ancient philosophy. So uh, like kind of detached from work because I, I'm a journalist, but I studied political philosophy as my master's. And the reason why I decided to pursue those studies is because I really liked reading about philosophy. And even though my education is mostly based on the Enlightenment. I learned by studying ancient philosophy how Enlightenment principles are inspired by, you know, for example, the uh, Greek idea of democracy or the Roman idea of a republic. And uh, we're kind of missing the virtue ethics that we had in ancient society. Even as a personal, many people today, I realize like to read self-help, these self-help books. And my advice to them would be just read ancient philosophy. Like that's the best self-help you can get. Mm. Uh, You mentioned Marcus Aurelius. So much of what he says is being used in modern forms of psychotherapy or developmental therapy. Um, So it's really helpful for people in general to lead better lives. And also I like one of my other favorite readings and a book that has very much helped me when I was going through challenging times at university. I wasn't sure what career to pursue was um, On the Shortness of Life by Seneca, which teaches you how to appreciate everyday life and how to be more virtuous as a person. Um, That's fantastic. Again, um, we're here with Alessandra Bocci. The article in the Wall Street Journal uh, ancient history isn't colonialism. Uh, Alessandra, if our guests want to follow you on Twitter or elsewhere, what is your Twitter handle? Uh, It's at Alessa, uh, A-L-E-S-S-A, and then my last name, B, as in for Bob, (laughs) O-C-C-H-I. All right. Well, this has been a delight, uh, Alessandra. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe. And if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share with friends and colleagues. Look forward to having you join us next week. CLT, reconnecting knowledge and virtue.